right, Ty. Time out. Tyler, who are we taking the time out with today? Kevin, good to see you, brother, up in the 585. I'm down here in the good old DFW. Um, today, ladies and gentlemen, children of all ages, we have Roseanne Schmid, the CEO of Fisher Associates up yonder in the north. Roseanne, thanks for having, you know, thanks for coming on the show, Time Out with Leaders. And uh, I just wanted to kick it off with saying or asking you if Kevin and I were going out to eat with you today, not where where would you take us to eat up in Rochester? And if we could have three other guests at our table across the country, anyone you want, who would they be? Oh, wow. That's a great question. So I think I would take you to eat at the Dinosaur Barbecue here in Rochester, right, right. On, right on the Genesee River. Got some good, good dinosaur barbecue there. We might even see something, some people, uh, some famous people there, because when we have people coming in for concerts into town and things like that, sometimes they, they end up over there. Um, so you might even run into somebody famous out there. Um, does, does the, uh, do the people I would like to attend, do they have to still be alive? <laughs> no, not at all. Nothing's not off all. limits. Okay. Um, first of all, I would invite, um, Johnny Resnick from the Goo Goo Dolls. <laughs> so I'm a, I'm a big Goo Goo Dolls fan and Johnny's from Buffalo. So not too far from Rochester. So I always try to make an effort to go see them when they're, when they're in town and, uh, I'm a big fan. So I would invite Johnny. Um, I would also invite, um, I'm a big music person, so I would invite um, Tom Petty if he was still around, one of my all-time favorites. Um, almost saw him when he was here the year before he passed. He usually came, and I didn't. I'm like, oh, I'll go next year, and I missed that opportunity. So, And the third one, let me think. I think I'd have to go with, like, Prince. Wow. Just loaded with musicians. Wow. I love it. All right. So then I have to ask, what is your favorite song of all time? What is the song that you could sing anywhere, anytime, and just put you in the best mood? Um, American Girl. Ooh, that's that's a good one. Right on, Roseanne. And what I gotta dial in here. What's your favorite Google Goo Goo Doll song of all time? Can I guess? You can guess. I'm gonna guess it's slide. I do like Slide. Oh. I, I like I like Dizzy Up the Girls, the whole album. But I uh, I think I like Black Balloon and I like um, Rubble Beat. Oh, right on. Baby's Black Balloon makes her fly. Yeah, dude. I, I'm in. I'm in, Roseanne. <laughs> All right. And that's bold to pick barbecue from a man from the South. But Tyler <laughs> has had Dinosaur, maybe... I'm not sure how it stacks up with the Texas and the uh, the the down yonder's barbecue, but it it's good for up here. I know that it's good for us northerners. Exactly, exactly. That's too funny. Well, Roseanne, uh, I wanted to also ask um, because you're kind of this architect and an engineer, and you you know spaces and you know billboards because we drive by them all the time here on three ninety four ninety and five ninety. If you were to put out a message to Rochester and maybe like your motto or your intent, daily intention, what would you put on that billboard that everybody drove by every single day to get them thinking or think differently for the day? I would say something to the effect of be kind to everyone because you don't know what they're going through. 
that 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 sums it up right there right if we could you know probably understand folks rather than be right and wrong all the time that uh i love it and uh dang be kind to everybody that's pretty simple and, and, and hits hits you in the chest roseanne well you know and and i think i practice this in in you know in our workplace as well is you know if if somebody maybe isn't performing the way they should be right the first question i always ask is is everything okay I, I, you know, because home life impacts work life and work life impacts home life. And as much as we try to keep it separate, it, 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 you, it can't, right? Um, psychologically, mentally, we carry all that with us. And I always like to ask that question first is, you know, is everything okay? And if the answer is yes, then I'm like, okay, then, then, you know, let's talk about where you're struggling, right? But the struggle might be something totally unrelated to their performance. Mm -hmm. And it's just being that that emotionally intelligent to 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 understand that it could be something else unrelated to the to the job itself. And I think what you're kind of talking about is something that I had to learn, I guess, because coming from uh, past generations and having influence from my grandparents and my my father, um, I had a different view. I, I I was led to believe that I could separate work and life, you know, where where they say leave leave that at the door and and you're at work now. Um, did you always know that home and life that were were synonymous or one and the same and life there's is no balance, there is no blend, it's just life. Or was that something that you kind of learned throughout your career and your journey? I think it's something I learned throughout my career and my journey. I think I, I felt like if I kept things bottled up and didn't share like what I was experiencing at, you know, at work with my family and, and vice versa, um, there's this wall that's up, this lack of understanding of what's going on on the other side of the wall. Right. Mm -hmm. And, so I think over time, I realized that there is a benefit to that. You don't want to dwell on everything, right? But I think there's a, there's a benefit into communicating, you know, what's going on um, so that there's at least an understanding of where you're coming from that day. You know, if you're in a bad mood, if you're, you know, can't get something done or, or whatever, it, there might be a struggle you're having in one place or the other that is impacting that. And so keeping that open and honest communication, I think is just, is just, uh, fair to those in your life. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I love what you said is uh, keeping it bottled up because I, I know I am guilty of it. And you just, uh, gave me something to reflect on is, is really sharing how that day went at work. Um, I know when I get home to my wife and she asks, how was your day? I say fine or good. Um, and leave it at that because I'm almost so exhausted from the day, if that makes sense. Right. Um, where it just seems like another task almost to, to reiterate and go through my day. But I also think it's an also uh, an opportunity to reflect on that day too, or you're saying it to somebody else and not keeping it bottled up. I love that. Yeah. Point. And there's times when you might say, and I have said it, I, I can't talk right now. Yeah. Right. Like I had a horrible day and I just, I just can't talk right now. Yeah. You know, but then maybe in a half an hour, an hour, I'll go back and I'll be like, okay, I'm ready to tell you about my day. Yeah, because you <laughs> almost need that time to decompress. And that's what I was missing during the pandemic. I, I noticed without the drive, because the drive itself was my time, me time. Yes, yes, I agree. I have a half an hour drive and that's my time to go through my mental 
lists of what I did, what I have to do, what I didn't do on the way home, and really just decompress and get ready to shift gears. So I totally agree with you on that. So just kind of uh, understanding um, your journey, I, I, I was kind of reflecting, you won 2022 Woman of Excellence in the RBJ last year. So congratulations on that incredible award and honor. Um, because it's multifaceted. It talks about not only what you're doing as a business leader, but also what are you doing in the community and what does that commitment look like? Um, and I know that's an important component to what you do at Fisher Associates today. How important was your journey of working your way up from that first project management role, um, which some would say 13 years in a project management role, today that doesn't make sense. We're looking for more mo mobility. We're more looking for that that lateral move up that uh, proverbial staircase. Um, how important was that in your, your journey to, to where you sit today as the CEO of this organization? Well, it was very important. And particularly because uh, most of my project management years, I was part-time. Wow. So I was part-time for 13 years when my children, when I was raising my children, I worked three days a week. And so to me, it was monumental to be able to be a project manager working part-time. Now, with a family, with that, part -time, yeah. you know, I was in the office three days a week and, and home with my kids two days a week, but that didn't mean I wasn't taking phone calls and answering emails and things like that. But, um, you know, I was able to you know, help out in school for my, you know, when my kids were young and, and, you know, be that classroom helper and go on field trips and, and things like that. And, uh, and still, but it was really important to me that people didn't question whether I could be successful doing that. Mm. So I worked really hard to make sure that I was always accessible to my team members. Um, they could call me, text me anytime. Um, and that I set my work schedule, I worked Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and everybody said to me, well, why don't you work like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then you get Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you get four day weekend, yeah. you know, every, every week. And I said, because then I'm, in, I, then I'm out of the office for two days. Like I leave on Wednesday, people don't see me again until Monday. That's psychologically a long period of time for people especially back then when we, you didn't have hybrid work environment, everybody was in the office. Oh yeah. Working Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you know, I was only out of the office one day and people were out of the office for, for meetings for a day or a conference mm -hmm. for a day. So to me, that was, that seemed to be a better solution and more palatable for the people around me to be able to absorb and, and think was feasible. Mm-hmm. Well, and you're, so you're also talk, talking on um, a little bit about, I think, similar experience when my wife is going through um, and, and women right now with with both uh, men and women or uh, spouse or relationship, um, both parties are typically working in the house. And I think the cost of child care alone gets people to reconsider, but also just wanting to spend time with our children during these critical stages of their life. I, I, we, we dropped our son off at, I think, four months at that daycare. We tried it for like a week. And you, we just got that sense and that feeling that other people were raising our child. And during one of the most important stages of, of, of his development, 
Um, but I, I understand how difficult of a decision it comes down to be because it also feels like sometimes you're putting your career on pause. Can you talk about just working part-time with a ch with children and how that helped your career? Because as soon as you must have went full-time, it looks like that's when you made the change to Fisher & Associates. Um, when did you feel like you were ready and when it was when your family was ready? Like what what I guess personal journey or discovery did yeah. you have to go down? Well, you know, it was a it was a journey kind of on both ends to make the decision to go part time, right? My career has always been very important to me. And I knew if I if I stayed home hundred percent of the time, it would I'd probably it'd be very difficult to get back into the field. And so I knew I I didn't want to do that because my career, I knew I wanted to go back into, you know, my career at some point. Mm -hmm. And so <clears throat> for me, the option was I got to try to make this part-time thing work. And, and, um, and actually, you know, I think it was a great experience for my kids to see mm -hmm. and they could see that, you know, you can, you can have a career and value your career and still value your time. You don't have to choose one or the other. Yeah. that you can have both and, and it, it can work. And, you know, I would, I took them to, you know, we'd have certain ribbon cuttings for projects, you know, if we had a bridge opening and we were cutting the ribbon, you know, I take my kids and, and then of course, then every bridge from that moment on was mommy's bridge. That's that mommy's <laughs> bridge. Is that mommy's bridge? You know, like, no, that's not mommy's bridge. The other one's mommy's bridge. <laughs> so, um, and you know, I really think, you know, especially for my daughter to see, um, you know, her mom accomplishing and, and being successful, accomplishing things and being successful is super important, I think, for young women to see that they can accomplish whatever they want to and have role models that, that demonstrate that. And I also think for my son um, to see, um, you know, kind of what he might want in a partner in life, right? Um, and, uh, you know, sometimes, sometimes the bar is set a little too high. Uh, <laughs> he's like, you know, mom, I want somebody that can have deep conversations like you and I have. I'm like, well, you know, okay, well, <laughs> I don't think you want somebody exactly like me, but I appreciate that you value me. Um, so I think just setting that example for your kids. Um, yeah whether they're male or female um, in, you know, for my son to know that, that my husband was there to balance it out. Right. And he had a role, uh, probably a more active role in home life than maybe some other men typically mm -hmm. might. Um, and so my son got to see that too. Right. Like, well, mommy's going to be home late. So daddy's making dinner tonight or whatever. Right. It's, yeah. It's that blend of exactly roles and it's that balance between both parties because in, in my household, my father worked unconscious, himself unconscious, and my mom was afforded the opportunity right. to stay at home. So that was kind of and that was after the same in both sets of their parents. So only fathers worked, moms did not. Um, and that's kind of not what I expected, but it also Put a lot of pressure on me and saying holy cow i have to now do this because i see why it's so valuable to have that time but it is a blend and and i think it takes a community a community or a village now to raise children um so we have my mother-in-law that watches them a couple times a week we do do daycare 
Um, but I think now he's more prepared and, and ready and, and I think needs it. Um, right. where, where earlier on in his development, I thought it was way too soon. Yeah. Um, but I love that perspective because it, it, it is showing your, your children, these, these real life examples that work and life um, are both important and what is a priority should not always be work. And uh, we need to start prioritizing our, our home life um, because that makes us more effective in our, our, in our professional worlds. So yeah. Yes, you talked and, about role models, um, Roseanne, and I kind of wanted to ask, who are some influential individuals? Because I talk frequently about social boards of directors, um, influential parties, Tyler being one of them for myself. Who are some of those critical sponsors or mentors that you had throughout your career to really help you get to this position in which you are today? So uh, let's touch on two. I have my childhood best friend, um, who I've known since I was three years old. Wow. Um, she's she's about a year and a half older than me, but two grades ahead of me. And so um, she's the one that really, she went to Clarkson as well. And I went and visited her when I was still in high school. And um, it's, that's when I really sort of, you know, kind of learned engineering and, you know, what she was going, she was going for engineering and, so it sparked my interest and she has always been a role model for me. Her mother was uh, a very active um, in women's lib back in the seventies. Wow. She was one of the first uh, women to achieve a high position at the New York State Department of Transportation. She was really a trailblazer and she was my second mom and so my best friend and her mom both were very influential in my life um, and helping me to get out of my shell a little bit um, and uh, really explore options in the world that you know mm -hmm. I may not have considered otherwise. Um, and then I would say more recently, um, Claire Fisher, the founder of Fisher Associates, when I came over to Fisher, um, I was actually recruited when I was still part-time over to Fisher. And I kept telling them, you know, I'm part-time, right? <laughs> I want to make sure you want, like, why would you want me on part-time? <laughs> it had such a stigma to it that I, yeah. I was like, you know, I'm part-time. And they're like, we know, but we, we need good project managers. You have a great reputation. We want you, we want you to come over. And so I, I came over and, um, I remember Claire wasn't there the first couple of days I started and, and a few days in, she was back in the office and she came over and I, I stood up to shake her hand and she gave me a big hug. I'm so glad you're here. She said, you know, and, um, she was just a great, great mentor and a great role model for women, for, you know, minority owned businesses at the time. She was a, we were a woman owned business at the time and a disadvantaged business enterprise which we've since um, graduated from those programs, uh, which was her goal as well. Um, and, you know, and then three years in after I came to Fisher, and this gets back to your original, your other question, um, when was it right for me to come back to be full time? Um, my son, who's my younger, um, was in about, was in middle school at the time and a position opened up for a management level role, a group manager level. 
And I went and I said, if I'm a candidate for this position, I'll come back to work full time. Wow. And they said, you got the job. And so <laughs> I came back to work full time. Well, I'd gone back to my, you know, obviously talked to my husband and said, look at, you know, college is coming. Yeah. You know, our kids are older. They don't really want me helping out in the classroom in middle school. <laughs> in high school right? Um, it's more like, you know, walk 10 feet behind me. Um, and so uh, I said, you know, I think there's this opportunity. I could go back to work full time. And so we said, yeah, it's a, it's probably a good decision. And so that's when I went back to work full time as a, as a group manager. And then the company, you know, reorganized and um, kind of combined groups under umbrellas. And so they combined you know, highway design, bridge design, traffic engineering under transportation. And I came, I became the director of the transportation group at that time. Um, when the interim, when I came on, because we were a woman owned business, um, Claire actually sold some of her shares to me so that they would stay women owned and wouldn't compromise the woman owned business um, certification. And and she just continued to mentor me. She took me around. She had a lot of relationships with the transportation clients and she transitioned all those relationships to me. We'd go and visit them and she'd introduce me. And she was just really, really um, good at what she did. And, and she, and she taught me a lot. She was an introvert, Wow. you know, and she would tell me how she did not like to go to social functions and, and she goes, but I would go and I would say, I have to meet three new people and then I can leave. And once you meet three new people, you're comfortable and you really don't feel like you need to leave. Right. Yeah. And so she would kind of tell me these little tricks of, you know, how she would get outside her comfort zone and force herself to do things. And, you know, it just, I just learned a lot from her. I love that. Um, and so, it's you know, and and that's what I see almost the difference between sponsorship and mentorship too, is because it's almost, it, it requires both in order, in my, in my estimation, to be successful because mentorship, sponsorship goes beyond mentorship. It means you're actually now really helping, um, going out on behalf of, um, but I think what the lesson that I heard was probably the most valuable lesson for myself even is getting outside your comfort zone. But what tricks do you have? Because naturally you want to stay in your comfort zone. Um, and I found myself until the pandemic, it took a global pandemic or a global crisis for me to realize that separating work and life was silly. Um, but also I became very comfortable with the position that I was in and I wasn't growing as much as I wanted to. Um, so stepping outside my comfort zone required me to have a Tyler an accountability partner almost to push me over that ledge to say, Hey, it's okay. Like you can do this. Um, when did you yourself, um, because I, I see a lot of similarities in, in you as I, I see in myself, and when did you realize that you were either seen as or believed in yourself that you were an actual leader? Like what position? Was there any position or time that you were like, holy cow, people people actually, maybe it was when they asked you to come over and you were part-time. Maybe that was your first inclination. When did you realize that you were a leader and people were following you, but you didn't really probably need a title to be told that you were a leader. Um, it was probably in the early nineties, uh, when I moved back to Rochester, 
and I was working for a different engineering firm at the time. And I seemed to be given a lot of the projects that were out of the norm that nobody else really wanted. And, um, and people would get come and ask my opinion a lot on their jobs. And it was funny because at one point somebody cut out this, you know, um, Lucy from the Peanuts with, yes. her, with her little stand, her, her psych, psychological stand or, yep. you know, psychiatry stand. Somebody gave that to me, put it on my, you know, because people always came to me for, you know, advice. And so I think that's when I started realizing, like, you know, maybe, maybe my opinion does matter to people. And maybe I do have valuable insight that, you know, I didn't really see or give myself enough credit for, um, you know, because I think when I, the whole part-time thing, you know, all my, I wanted to do was do a good job and fly under the radar. I didn't want anyone to say this is problematic, yeah. right? I wanted it to be a success. And so I I didn't, you know, try to stand out in any way. I really just tried to like blend in more. Mm -hmm. um, but I do think that, you know, with the projects I was taking on and the things that people saw I was accomplishing in these projects that were like out of the ordinary. And um, I think they, they saw that, you know, I had some skills and I had, you know, I'd be a good person to go and ask my, their insight, you know, ask for insight on. And so I think that's when I first saw it. Um, and then of course, obviously when I was being recruited as a part-time project manager, I'm like, okay, so people must see something. <laughs> um, and uh you know, and then when I came over to Fisher and started moving up the ranks and, you know, taking on more responsibility, um, you know, I, I think the, the groups that I was leading, you know, it's all about open communication and um, that instills trust, right? And challenging people to grow. I mean, you, you grow the most when you're challenged Definitely. and helping people understand that and that giving them safe places to, I hate the word fail, but giving them safe spaces and safe tasks to maybe fall short on mm -hmm. and see that it's okay. Mm -hmm. But what you learned helps you go 10 steps forward. Exactly. And, and right? I think it's just that the idea that failure is final and, and right is like you failed and it's like, oh, okay, well, I can't get better. And I love looking at failure as learning opportunities, but it is creating that safe space. Otherwise, it's micromanagement and it's process and it's policy and procedure. And it's you're almost writing the own creativity, innovation out of what they right. could potentially bring to that situation and, and allow them to tap into that collective intelligence. I wanted to kind of go back a little bit and backtrack um, talking about your part time. And you mentioned stigma. Um, cause I think it, it was a stigma at that time, um, that part-time, uh, it was left, probably you felt less secure. Um, you didn't have the full-time position. So if anything went south at the organization, they probably looked to you first to say, we don't need you anymore. Um, because I, you also said, I wanted to do a good job and fly under the radar. And I would say a majority of people in your generation, my generation, because of our parents' generation, safety and job security was of the utmost importance. Um, and that's where I think we started to discredit some of our own values and our own 
um, wants, desires, and needs because safety first. Um, when did you, have you tapped into that at your organization to start to think about other working moms that are also architects and engineers and how you can start to engage with other part-timers to be that more inclusive, equitable, and diverse workforce that you guys are looking to build? Yes, actually, um, I had a, I had one of our younger engineers um, come to me um, and she's, she told me, she's like, I haven't told anybody yet, but I'm pregnant and I'm really nervous, you know, about my career. And I wanted to talk to you because I know you went through this and, <laughs> and, you know, I told her, I said, you know, I said, I, I, I understand, but this is a place you don't have to worry about that. Wow. You know? I said, you know, we'll figure out a schedule that works, you know, for you and for, you know, the company and we'll make it work. Wow. And so, you know, she's, she's going to come back. Uh, she's due in March. She's going to come back to work four days. Um, that was what she chose to do. Um, and, you know, it, so I think it's super important to have those conversations with people. And, and I think it's a little bit, I think since COVID and now the hybrid work schedules and, you know, all of that, I think it's not as viewed as bad anymore, I guess, um, with such a stigma. Um, you know, we have other part-time people too. Um, so I just think it's it's super important to, to have those conversations and to convey that and to let your people know that, you know, we are a place of inclusivity, inclusiveness and, and um, whatever your situation is, come talk to us. You know, we'll figure something out. That's, that's, it's amazing to hear. Um, I have a, a question, but what you said was we will make it work. And, and I think the old adage was you will make this work. Um, you have to fit the mold. Right? Correct. Yeah. So mold. just hearing that you say that we will make this work, that's just collectively working together to find something that's flexible. And I think that's really what people are just looking for is under the understanding, right? That that I do have a work a life outside of work. That I do have children that I need to get to doctor's appointments and off the bus on certain days. And I want to go to their play, and I don't need to show up late. Um, but I think that's how we were told or taught over time and nurtured that that was performance. The people that went in early and stayed late, those were the people that were tradi traditionally getting promotions. And like you, being a high performer, all of a sudden you are getting more work than everybody else because you are a high performer. Um, and that leads to the same burnout, the same kind of backing away until you realize what I think your value is and the value that you have to add. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk about your daily intention um, because I'm a. it seems like you have an intention as a leader every single day um, on how you carry yourself because you're the first person that that employee came to talk to about that event was to the CEO of the company. There's not a lot of CEOs that have that same open door policy that are actually getting that type of authentic, um, transparent, uh, emotional conversation. What is your intention and how do you, how are you able to build those types of connections with your staff that they even feel comfortable knocking on your door? I think part of it is, uh, you know, a lot of them knew me um, when I was that part-time project manager. And so that's when we first started developing our relationships. You know, when I first came to Fisher is a lot of the staff knew me then. And I, I did not change 
when I moved up, right? I'm still wow. the same person. I'm still want to know about your family. I still want to know, you know, uh, what's going on in your life and what challenges. And I still want to help, right? Um, so I think they just view me as, as a person. And, and I've always had an open door policy. I make sure I go around and I do, well, when people are here, it's a little more challenging now with hybrid, but I try to get around and I try to touch base with people and how's it going? How's your family? How's your kids? Tell me what's going on. Um, I do have people when they are in the office, because some of them aren't in the office very often, they do make a point to come up and say, hey, you know, just thought I'd come up and say hello. And that means a lot to me um, that people see that, you know, this isn't, you know, there's not like Mahogany Row, it's not us and them. It, yeah. it, we're one company and, you know, no one, no one is any more important than anyone else. I am not any more important than, you know, the the woman that sits at our front desk. I think she's one of the most important people in the company, answering the phone and sitting at the front desk and greeting people. Nobody's more important than anybody else. We need everybody to be successful and to be, you know, a team. Um, so what a unifying message that is, because I mean. Again, you, you treat the the same person that's uh, vacuuming or mopping the floors as the same respect as yourself. And I think traditionally it's uncomfortable because I was I was title shy. Um, I'll, I'll be honest. Um, I never felt like I had enough value or had any reason because I always felt your time was way more valuable than my time um, because that's what your W-2 would tell me, I guess, is, is what I thought. Um, and, and whatever I had to add and whatever I had to say wasn't necessary, wasn't needed. I don't think I got that realization that you two are people at the end of the day until I did this podcast with Tyler as a passion project. And we have the same wants, desires, needs, challenges, stresses. Um, and then sure, they show themselves as different symptoms, but the, 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 it's always the similar um, issue. But you touched on something is building that human connection and that bond. And and you said I, they knew me then. And But I also want to go on a ledge to tell the audience that I also think that they know you now. And, and you make that point that you are yourself and you're not acting in your role as a CEO. Um, no. That you have pushed probably closer. To, when did you get comfortable being 100% yourself in leadership? Because I talk about that as the most empowering moment of my life. Um, when I finally saw the value of myself, instead of allowing businesses to tell me how valuable I was, when did you realize that being yourself was a hundred percent okay? I think that I've never been a person that is going to put on a, a front. Um, and I've never felt like I got an advanced role because of who I pretended to be. Mm -hmm. right I always felt it was important to be genuine and to it and that this is who I am and if this works for you know position xyz then this is great if not then that's not for me because yeah. I'm not going to put on a front and be somebody I'm not I mean I am not afraid to you know wear the goofy hat at Christmas or Halloween at the Halloween party or to you know sing the silly song in our fun events and you know it's who i am yeah and i'm not afraid to to show that to everybody else i, I think it humanizes you yeah. um you have to be you have to be comfortable with 
being human and yeah. being vulnerable. I you, think that's I think that's the biggest word right there. I think just vulnerable. I think it's the ability to go deeper than that surface level. How are you question? Or yeah. what do you do? What do you do for a living is always our first question that we ask people in society. I don't know why, but it's traditionally right. what do you do? And you have to be judge. I think you have to be humble and you have to be vulnerable. I think those are the two most important qualities of a leader. You have to be humble and you have to be vulnerable. And um and that will go a long way. It will help to build trust. It will help to open those relationships with people. It will take down that you against them wall. Mm -hmm. um, and you have to be honest. And, and, you know, if you make a bad decision, you have to admit it. Yeah. You have to admit it because they know it. You know it. Everybody knows it. So if you're not admitting, hey, you know what? This was a bad decision and we're we recognized it and we're, we're changing course. Mm -hmm. And I want, you know, everyone to know. Um, I think about what you just said back to all the actors, because there are actors out there that, that will change. They'll, they're the yes person. They will, we all know those people, right. Um, to get that, that's how they perceive themselves as needing to work up, up that proverbial count, uh, uh, um, ladder. But you mentioned being honest. If you're if you're not honest with yourself and you're acting and you're not being genuine, how can you possibly be honest to anybody else? You can't. That's I. You just put all that together, and I was like, "Holy cow! That's that's 100 it." So if we are acting and we aren't ourselves, how can we possibly establish and build those or humanize uh, that relationship to build that trust when you're not even yourself and you're asking right. that person for these? personal stories about what is going on in your life. Um, I love that. That's, that's, that's pretty, pretty powerful. Um, switching gears just a little bit. What are some of your favorite books that you've ever read? Do you have any recommendations to any of the listeners? Have you read any great books lately? Yes. Um, I, one of my favorite books that I just read is multipliers. Okay. And it talks about as leaders, how we can multiply our people and their capabilities and their productivity or diminish it with how we lead them. And it's a very simple read, but it is, it's very powerful. And it, it really goes into the language you use, how it can multiply or diminish. And, and there's, there's two types of diminishers. There's, you know, the empire builders and the they're more intentional diminishers and there's the unintentional diminisher. And I think a lot of leaders are unintentional diminishers. Mm -hmm. um, and so increasing your awareness about how you say things to people and um, how you're interacting with them, is it, is it elevating them and multiplying them or is it diminishing them? Mm -hmm. um, it was, it was a really, good book I'm a, I'm also... I think it speaks I think it speaks too is because I, I I my friend uh this was again one of my learning moments where intent your intention drives your attention so myself a daily attention a weekly intention an intention before a meeting whatever um but what you just said the people that if they aren't creating that intention for that space that conversation that culture then they're probably going to change with the wind. And that's where people sometimes get confused and upset because there is no standard. It seems like hypocrisy. It's what's good for the goose isn't good for the gander. Um, but it's really because they themselves haven't really set that personal intention 
Um, because I think then your attention to the words that you use, what you listen for, how you hear what that feedback, I think that all matters, but you need to set that intention for yourself first. Yeah. And I love the, what you say is because I see multipliers as organizations and leaders like yourselves. And I know at Fisher is really making the people at your organization, the best people that they can be right. because of your teaching them, you're training them, you're educating them in all those wellness or well-being buckets they're going to go teach the community, their friends, their peers, their family, those same life lessons and theoretically increase your involvement or improve the community in which we all live and work. And that goes yes. to financial wellness and literacy and all those other items. Right, right. It's really powerful. You're just, you know, it's interesting. The book gives statistics about, you know, in a normal person is probably operating at 60% of their yeah okay so it's similar to the gardener study yeah and so and so a multiplier can get up you know 110% right because of the way they're they're uh, energizing that person and mm -hmm. motivating them um a diminisher it goes down to like 20% right and so it's all about you know or those quiet uh, quitters you want to use the the new nerve yeah right yeah. <laughs> Right. You're diminishing them. They become a quiet quitter, probably. Yeah, definitely. But I, I and Gardner did a similar study is because I think a lot of companies, especially for what I do for a day job, we, we all talk about engagement. Engagement is relatively table stakes. And, and, and that's where these other organizations have started to realize that engagement is still limited productivity um, because people can ebb and flow within engagement at any given time. Thriving, um, which I think is what you and I are talking about today, is going beyond the walls of work and starting to care what are they doing, how are they doing mentally, physically, emotionally, financially, socially, um, how are they doing professionally as a career. Um, but it's being in tune enough and creating enough space to listen to actually what their own individual definitions of success is um, right. instead of us telling them what their definition of success should be. Exactly. So, I think that 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 that's such a powerful statement, and and you start to see IBM's and Microsoft use the term thrive, and Gardner would tell you that they get two hundred forty four percent more production out of them. Um, right. I just hate that we continue to have to make business cases to do the right things, but it is the environment that we're in. Yeah, you know it's funny because I I it kind of gets into the whole topic of culture, right? And I think a lot of people feel like culture is is um transactional like we do all these nice. fun things we do all these fun things our culture is really good we do all these great things but culture is really what you're talking about and how you're behaving and interacting right that really sets the culture you could do a bazillion fun things and not have a good culture oh yeah um so you know, it goes back to that humanistic, that emotional intelligence piece, and it's yeah. huge. And, you know, especially in an engineering company, we didn't go to school to learn any of this. Mm -hmm. And then we're thrown into, you know, management positions, managing people. Um, and most people are not very good at that. Yeah. Unless, unless they're recognizing, I need to get some training on this. I need to, you know, maybe some people have an inherent, you know, um, skill in it. But I think for the most part, um, 
engineers that were at companies for a long time. You've been here for 15 years. You should be promoted to be the manager. Next person up. Next person up. Yep. You, you have no <laughs> skills in managing people. You know, the person who's been there five years probably is a better manager than you, but they always promote it on seniority. And, and that's one thing at Fisher that we make a point of saying we, we don't promote on seniority. We I promote love that. skill. We promote on the person's drive, their career goals, what they're looking to accomplish, you know, what they have the capacity to do, what they want to do. And, and, you know, we have a lot of young managers in our, in our company because of that's that. That's so powerful though, what you just said, because that's why I, that's <laughs> my motivation is I, I got obsessed with why do we promote who we promote? Because then I saw the people that were getting promoted typically were the yes people that were non-confrontational. And that really upset me because it wasn't truly performance that was speaking for the role. It was what was making that person up the ladder more comfortable with who was going to be reporting to them. Uh, and that was infuriating. And yeah, I want to I go back to, to the, the culture is not transactional because I think it speaks to how we saw how linear we traditionally have seen human capital, right? That I can take any person, I can give them the same tools, tasks, and time, and I get the same output. And we all know that that is not in today's society, especially in a service-led world, how happy my employee is matters because that's going to impact my customer satisfaction and happiness. Right. Uh, it's, 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 it's just, it, it just builds on top of it, one, each other. But I think it, it starts with your intention about creating that environment that is inclusive to allow people to feel open and willing to share their feedback and insights with you. Um, but you're, you're listening. Um, I think a lot of organizations sometimes ask for it and then don't do anything with it. And it's kind of counterproductive to what they're actually trying to achieve. What's um, one last question, I guess, um, talking about culture, because I, I see it similarly. It's culture is really the values and, and the actions that you condone um, because I think there's the rules and then there's the rules for, for others sometimes traditionally in business. And some people are given more pass and grace than others. How have, how, what types of things have you started to do um, being a, a female CEO to really get out that message of, of belonging and inclusion and mental health within the workforce? Well, we, we have um, quarterly company meetings where we, you know, talk about, um, you know, our employee assistance program, right? And and we emphasize that, you know, I'm the first one to stand up there and say, you know, there's, when I talked about be kind, you don't know what's going on in everyone's life. Everybody's going through something. Yeah. Right. And so that's the message I try to say is that everybody's going through something. Don't be ashamed of it. And there's help for it. And we have a program that can help, whether it's, you know, it's extensive. It's from tax planning to, you know, elder care to dog, you know, pet care. It, it's, you know, whatever you're struggling with, um, stop struggling, get help. It's okay to ask for help. And that's, you know, you talk about culture, you know, it. that's what we try to emphasize is don't try to reinvent the wheel. Don't try to be Superman <laughs> or Superwoman. We are all here to help each other and, you know, and we have external help as well. And so there's nothing to be ashamed of. Everybody's going through something. I and think you just said normalizing it I, and, and that it's okay to ask for help because I think that's, 
all these organizations now are like, hey, we, we have we're offering all these mental health resources, but nobody's using it, but it's they're telling us that they need it. And I said, until you normalize talking about mental health within the workforce, they themselves might not even know that they need that as a service. Hearing right. other people's stories and I share, I get very vulnerable. We do a lot of focus groups with my partners and share that I, I go to therapy and I've gone to therapy. And me just saying that, everybody is like, I've thought about it. I've, I've been thinking about it. And right. it's just being open that, hey, this is something that we should prioritize. We just haven't before. Um, but this is just as much as important as going to see your doctor once a year. Um, your car gets more tune-ups than you do. And there's a lot right. going on between those ears. And, and we want our employees to be the best versions of themselves yes. for, for their families, for themselves, for the company, right? Everyone benefits when everyone's the best version of themselves. How can we help them get there? Agreed. Well, I just, I know we're running over by a little bit, but I, I, I could talk to you all day, Roseanne. I feel like this is, <laughs> you're talking, you're talking my language. I just want to say thank you. Um, I, not only for what you're doing for your time today on the show, but really knowing how you're leading, um, how you're being that uh, advocate for women in the workplace, but also everybody in the workplace and, and, and making them the best versions of themselves because Fisher's growing their impact. I know you guys have 300 some odd employees today, but multiply that by their families and all the other family members that they have right here in Rochester. You, your impact is quite great, Roseanne. So thank you so much for everything that you're doing. And thanks for being a great, uh, an awesome guest on Time Out with Leaders. Uh, thank you. It was really, really fun, Kevin. I really appreciate you inviting me on and, um, you know, with be well, I'd welcome the opportunity to come back anytime. All right. Well, I think we might bring it back for a part two, because I think you and I were just scratch, scratching the surface on the culture thing. So okay. uh, more to come. All right. Sounds good.